0: Hello, welcome back to TabU. Uh, my name is Katrina Hindley, and today I'm joined by Sam and Johnny. Uh, can I ask you all to introduce yourself, Sam?
1: Oh, I was going to suggest you go first. Go right. Johnny? Oh, I happily go first. <laughs> <laughs> Look, of course. My name is Samuel Morris. I'm a lending associate at Tab.
0: And our special guest?
2: Uh, my name is Johnny Dalton. I am the uh, Capital Markets Director at Stretton's at Chartered Surveyors.
0: <laughs> And today the podcast is going to be all about commercial property investments and we're going to be asking a couple of questions on what it is, what they are as well as what it is uh, and everything else and the future of the market etc. So if we kick things off with question number one which mm-hmm. quite simply is what are commercial property investments?
2: Commercial property investments are uh, properties which are um, fundamentally income producing. Uh, so you um Whatever anyone buys or sells will always be the property, the physical building, whether it be uh, land land plus building, plus a stream of uh, rent or um, direct income.
0: And can anyone invest in commercial property? Anyone can. Um, people
2: tend to directly invest either in their personal names or in limited companies. Uh, sometimes people buy uh, as part of syndicates. Um, uh, or um, people might buy a um, a REIT, so a um, real estate investment trust, which will be a, a PLC. So you'll be able to um, uh, buy that on a stock exchange. Uh, there's there's a whole host of different <laughs> ways of doing it, uh, and all of my clients have very very different profiles. So uh, I am a I am a on the brokerage side of things. So I help help clients buy and sell commercial property investments from. A whole range of sectors, so um, you know it might be looking at um, retail property investments, or distribution warehouses, or hotels, or supermarkets, or um, uh, shopping centres—a whole host.
0: What is the most quirky mm. investment property that you have dealt with? Quirkiest. Um,
2: I've seen funeral homes. Oh wow. I've seen sort um, of dental surgeries. We've had. Uh, I mean, honestly, if it's, if it's not a residential property, um, you know, it falls into our purview. And dependent on what um, a vendor wishes to do, because, for example, it might be a property which is um, an owner, owner-occupied property. And um, uh, if you're, a, I don't know, a, um, a meat uh, processing business, <laughs> Uh, and you decide that you want to raise some capital f- for your business and you happen to own the freehold of your property you might choose to do a sale and leaseback so uh, you would sell your 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 property but then you would lease it back to yourself ah, okay. at the same time so you get the benefit of the property for the next you know it could be two years it could be 25 years but uh, but then then you you sell the uh, free, freehold onto a third party and then they 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 benefit from that lease and dependent on the covenant um, strength of your business so if you're if you're a small business then your covenant is relatively weak but if you're um, um, a growing or a mid-sized or a large business then uh, a selling lease back can be a, a very fruitful way of raising capital
0: it's interesting I well, yeah, <laughs> quite an alternative route, I guess, to free up capital, or well, not an alternative route, another route. Um, I guess. So you you briefly touched on the ways that you can invest, REIT and stuff like that. Is that is that something that you would advise to people, or as kind of in your role, or is it? So only?
2: typically, my. My clients, when they come to me, they they already know uh, what structure that they're going to go down. So, you know, they might be a um, existing property company. They might be a a developer, for example. And all of the the land or the buildings that they buy um, go into their wider structures. um, Or they might set up a special purpose vehicle. um, So a a dedicated um, company structure for a um, individual property that they're buying. Um, but you know every every structure is different. You know yeah. um, charities, for example, um, don't have to pay stamp duty. So um, if they if they buy a commercial property investment, then they get um, savings on their transactional costs as well, which gives them um, a little bit of an edge in yeah. the rest of the market.
0: And if we kind of move on to question two, which follows on, what type of commercial property is most profitable? <laughs> so this
2: this is a this is a horrible question as far as i'm concerned (laughs) but i'm going to make a note of the answer yeah (laughs) so the most profitable um property uh is very difficult to to quantify what happens is um commercial properties are are priced on uh, the basis of effectively seven different factors so what the property is, where it is, what the condition of the building is, what the uh, income profile looks like. So if it's if it's a single let property to Tesco mm-hmm. uh, with a 25 year lease, uh, then then um, that is, is seen as very very attractive. However, you know you might have a multi let estate or a high street parade where you might have multiple tenants, and then you're looking at rather than. The term certain on one tenant, you're looking at, at a walt, which is a, a a weighted average unexpired lease term, uh, which which blends of all of that. It is, it's all, <laughs> but yeah, just walt. It's it's your 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 blended income profile, uh, and um, the shorter the income on the property, generally the higher the yield. Uh, so so there is a a reverse correlation. So so the higher the price that you pay for something versus the rent you're going to receive as landlord, the sharper the yield. So so when people talk about bigger yields, higher yields, they're actually talking about paying less money for the property.
0: Um, one of my questions was, why are long leases in commercial property attractive to investors? Hmm. Is it is that the case? Or is it actually just dependent on... So, so
2: typically, um, a landlord uh, is, is going to want uh, to get all of their rent, and any, any threats to them getting uh, that rent means that they might potentially have a rental void. And then if they get a rental void, then the property turns from being a uh, property asset into being a property liability, mm-hmm. because um, uh, the property uh, will still have maintenance costs and there will be business rates as well. So... Effectively, council tax for uh, commercial property is business rates, uh, and that is still 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 payable even if the property is vacant. If the property is listed, however, uh, then rates are not payable uh, when it is vacant.
0: Why is that?
2: Um, it's it, it's because of the the way that the properties are deemed to be you know if they're listed then they're special buildings you know by their history or their mm-hmm. nature or what they are or where they are, uh, and so um, the the government and the taxman uh, deems that they get uh, various uh, benefits, and that's one of them. However, typically with listed buildings, there are problems that go with them because if you, if you want to do works to a listed building, then uh, certainly in this country, um, uh, you have things like uh, English Heritage uh, crop up and say, no, if you want to change those windows, then you can only change them for this type of window, and it would
0: probably be triple the cost of,
2: um, what the most um, cost-effective way of doing it would be?
0: Do you see that separate? Not really part of the question, but do you see that catching up? Them catching up and being like, actually, it's fine, or is that going to be? Is it an? Is it a fair thing that they're saying, or is it that? Uh, I think they...
2: so. I mean, typically, these are buildings of of merit yeah. in, in terms of how they've been constructed, and they they may be you know Victorian buildings or Georgian buildings or whatever. they're... And it might be part of the character of the local community and all that kind of stuff. So if people want, um, if the buildings have been listed for whatever reason, um, people are doing it because they want to protect how the yeah. look and feel of their community, ultimately.
0: And you kind of touched on, you know, commercial property was everything but residential? or can... uh, Yeah,
2: so so uh, um, that statement was slightly misleading in that in that i will also look at mixed use developments so for example if i was um buying a building um and the business plan was that we were going to buy a building with you know short to medium income of four or five years but then the business plan would be as that those leases ran down you would then go in and seek a planning consent to vary the the use type Mm -hmm. and, and get a different change of use so you might be going from Uh, a retail department store for example uh, and then saying right we're going to turn that either into um, residential flats or we're going to turn it into um, student accommodation or we're going to turn it into a hotel or something like that so so you need to um, vary the planning uh, in order to um, do that and sometimes you can do that under permitted development rights dependent on what the property is and where it is um but, but typically you would need to go off and get a new planning consent for what you were proposing to do with the building
1: And so there's extra costs linked with that. That's some more layers to it, I guess.
0: Any questions on that? One? No I
1: think you were going what well, you did ask exactly what I was going to ask and it's you started off by saying that a commercial property is anything that's income producing and it's an investment or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking, do residential portfolios investment portfolios fall into that category? Um, so,
2: they can do. And uh, they, they tend to have a, a sort of slight niche of, of buyer, which is, um, might vary from some of the other mainstream commercial funds. So typically, um, if you're a commercial um, pension fund, let's say that you're legal in general or M&G or um, Aviva or someone like that, um, then then they will have dedicated funds for different sectors of the market. So they might have a retail warehouse-focused fund structure or they might have a, um, a multi let industrial uh, structure. Some of them have um, residential fund structures, so I think legal in general um, are one that do, for mm. example. Um, but not all of them do, and it, it, it sort of varies. Um, but then also there are, you know, it's all about the... The risk profile linked with the property so if if the properties are um newly developed um, very shiny and, and you know with low um epc ratings and all that kind of stuff um then they will be far more sought after than residential stock which is um you know com- coming towards the end of its life cycle or in need of um refurbishment for
1: example understood um does that answer the question? It does. It does because I think what I'm trying, obviously, to try and categorise property as residential or commercial, it's never just going to be a hard line down the middle. No, no, no. And so,
2: so, so, um, for example, we are selling a, um, a commercial property in in Wimbledon, uh, yeah. which is, which is a parade of seven shops, and it's got um, flats above. Yeah. And um, with with that parade, uh, when we first took it on. There was a a number of the flats that were um, uh, let um, with both the retail on the ground floor, but then with the um, residential uppers, but all on the same retail lease. Um, and then over time, the the retailers tend to sublet the um, space above because it's not core cool to what their business is doing. And then you get you know um, residential tenants within them, and then others that uh, have been. Um, sort of demised purely as residential flats, and then you know a a purchase, purchaser of that scheme might consider um, uh, buying all of the retail income and then selling off the various um, flats, you know, to boost their um, overall returns. Yeah. Or they might choose to keep them long long term, refurbish them, make the rents go up over time, uh, and just just improve the general um, so many ways of the
1: managing the asset to improve its value income and but
2: but but again it boils down to the landlord and um what they want to do in terms of their business plan yeah absolutely you know if they if they want to uh you know Mm -hmm. some of them will just want to be very very passive and just just take the rents and um not necessarily improve the building over time others are laser focused on making sure, sure that yeah. that their property is best in class and will stay best in class and get the best tenants and the best rents and all that kind of stuff
1: and how often do you find yourself having to steer clients in certain directions or help them make certain decisions yeah. because maybe they're not as well versed in in property and what might be best for the asset
2: yeah i mean um lots of lots of clients within um stretton's wider business uh have have controlled um their, Uh, portfolios of properties for a long period of time especially if it's if it's been part of a of a family structure if if it's a family Mm -hmm. trust that might might have a portfolio of you know four or five different assets and something they might have some shops they might have some warehouses they might have some flats um it 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 completely varies um client to client um but um yeah very variable
0: I'm going to stay on that point and actually go to the question of: Do commercial investments in property require a lot of management? Uh,
2: they can do. Uh, they don't have to. Um, so, if it's a um, if it's a very long lease uh, to to the government, for example, uh, yeah. and the, the rent review profiles go up in line with um, the retail price index every five years, for example, then as a as a landlord, if it, if the property is a a driving test center, or if it's a government office building, mm-hmm. or something like that, uh, you will get your rent four times a year. Uh, you, you, you'll get quarterly rents, uh, and then hopefully over time, uh, with that rent review structure, uh, the rents will gradually track up, uh, and your 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 yield on your money will will get better and better. Um, but um, that's that's the sort of top end of the market in terms of the government is the lender of last resort they cannot mm-hmm. go bust uh so 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 government leases are highly sought after mm. um on that basis because they take on um sort of uh guilt edged dynamics in terms of guilt is a government bond uh so so it is a it, it's still a property deal but it's closer to a bond deal in, yeah. in terms of its structuring than it than than a normal property deal but then if you were to also look at, you know, um, a, a long lease to te- um, Tesco or Sainsbury's or Premier Inn or uh, any any large blue chip covenant, mm-hmm. um, if they've got a, a long lease and by that, I mean, probably 15 years without break, um, then, th- then there'll be very little direct management to do on a day to day basis. Uh, it's more when you're looking at um, multi-let properties or mm-hmm. properties which are in need of refurbishment, uh, or if you're yeah wanting to go look at sort of change of use angles and things like that, then the, then you need to be a bit more hands-on in terms of bringing in more consultants and cost consultants as well. So you might bring in quantity surveyors to work yeah. out what it's going to cost you to um, turn that that kind of shop into you know a, a Range of other flats or whatever it may be. So these
1: these are all very much things to do with what you can do to manage the the value of the property and the asset. And yeah, whatnot. it's
2: about it's about managing the the level of risk which is suitable to each client. And you know, mm-hmm. if if um, my client rather than being legal in general, mm. a, a large pension fund where they are um, because it's pension money, they are wanting a very low risk um, sort of variable on it. Uh, whereas if it's a property private equity group or a developer they're going to be sort of saying well you know the money that we're going to deploy on this property we need to buy the property do something to it to create further value and then sell it within a five-year window because mm-hmm. typically they get um given pots of money uh and the ownership of that money for um five years uh and it, it typically would be like a five plus two structure or something like okay. that and um if if they buy something uh, and that that business plan doesn't pan out then they can get themselves into a lot of trouble very quickly um
1: inevitably there are going to be other factors such as the market which yeah. could be working for or the against them yeah the question i have is how's the market doing at the moment what well, is the commercial market looking so
2: like? so the market at the minute is is going through a bit of a transitionary period because the last decade or so um uh, interest rates have just been um compressing and falling and falling and falling and mm-hmm bank of england uh, and with um sort of various government policies to uh, to protect the wider economy whether it be you know following brexit or then then the pandemic mm-hmm. uh you know the government has sought to um uh protect those with with high levels of either personal or corporate debt by lowering lowering interest rates and so so the the interest rate environment has been has been art, uh, artificially low for a decade uh and it is now starting to um rebase and effectively normalize so when i when i first bought my my flat in london um a dozen years ago uh i was paying uh, interest rates of i don't know five and three quarters or something like that whereas you know most people you know would go oh, that that sounds uh, a huge amount but actually um, you know, we're now looking at um, interest rates moving to probably three three and a half percent you know over the next year or so and if that happens then then the the arbitrage the difference between where the base rates are and what, what the property yields are tends to drift up slightly so 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 the pricing will move out the pricing will get slightly softer relative to what it was previously um but there is an awful lot of money that has been um has been printed over the last uh number of years you know running into the trillions um globally when we're talking about the pandemic and um lots of that money went into the bond market some of it went into the stock market some of it goes into the property market uh, and some of it's just sitting in cash and um my personal feeling is that there is a large waiting to cash right now because people uh, are nervous. They're not quite sure where to deploy their money. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that is the same for individual households to the largest private equity groups out there. You know, there is, there is um, uncertainty. There's like a sort of fog of war. People can't quite work out what they're going to do. Later this week, there's going to be a, um, a government budget uh, or a mini-budget, uh, but I think it will be uh, fairly stimulative in terms of they're talking about mm-hmm. changing stamp duty and they're talking about cutting corporation tax and uh, a whole host of things, which will which will give both individuals and corporates a bit more breathing room and, and a bit more certainty as to um, to what they're going to do. The last six months has been sort of dominated by the fall of the um, johnson government and and a, um, a large question mark as to what follows Um mrs trust has only just come into power and we're now looking to see what she's going to say next to the markets because that will then dictate what what people choose to do
0: so given everything you've just said and what's happening with the markets should we wait until the mini budget's out or is commercial property a good investment right now
2: Com- commercial property is always is always a good investment. I would caveat that with understand what you're buying. Um, lots of people, um, I think, make make an error of deploying capital into parts of the market that they don't fully understand. So for example, um, uh, retail property over the last um, 15 years has been hugely disrupted by um, the changes in shopping habits and uh, online spending. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that, is, that, that has caused a lot of pressure on local high streets and rents have been, uh, rather than rising, have been falling backwards and, and the yields that um, uh, the market has been willing to pay for those properties. Uh, when I first joined the world of property, um, the best properties you know in, in all of the nice market towns would were, were command yields of 45 to 5%. And now you can get those same properties with the same tenants probably with slightly shorter leases but you're probably getting almost doubled your your yield so rather than four or five you might be getting seven or eight percent dependent mm-hmm. on the lease and where it is and what it is and what you have to spend on it moving forwards but um but conversely um there there have been winners from that wider trend so um uh, all of these um, online businesses um have ha- had huge demand for warehouses Mm -hmm. Uh, and so warehouses for the last decade have been the out-and-out stellar performer uh, in portfolios and it doesn't matter if you've got a um, a relatively small warehouse you know it might be four or five thousand square foot or it might be a million square foot, (laughs) let to Amazon or someone like that Um, the yields on those um, have have compressed uh, down to um, well there was deals last year that were going greater London on deals of scale and this is 50 million plus of sort of going below 2.5% things like that whereas um, those those uh, same buildings 10 years earlier you would have been mm-hmm. buying them at 7-8% so as, as the yield compresses the capital values go up dramatically uh, so so um, owners of warehouses over the last decade have done particularly well and they've also seen um, lots of rental growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, you know the, the the rents on the high street have been going backwards, but but the warehouse rents have
0: have been rocketing. And so it's... if you've got a warehouse, you're in a good position yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, but... do, you, do you think that's going to maintain its kind of growth, warehouses in particular? And then I guess separately to that, where's where do you see the? So
2: the... warehouses, um, I I think that the. That the tailwinds that they've been benefiting from are still there. I think mm-hmm. that there is a there's a shortage of warehouse space. Um, you know, obviously the warehouses need to be in the right places. You know, if it's a if it's a warehouse <laughs> in the middle of a Yorkshire Moor, it, it it may not get the same um, demand from tenants as something within the uh, M25. Yeah. I mean, Strattons are very blessed that our that our sort of core cool catchment is uh, North London, East London, the City fringe, the Square Mile. So uh, our our sort of patch and manner is very much um, uh, going to benefit off lots of these tailwinds. So we are very very lucky like that. But you know it is a it is a long standing business that's been going ninety yeah. odd years. And so yeah.
0: And where do you see the future of commercial property investment? that's, oh. that's, a, that's a huge question. <laughs> um, where do I see? It? Well, What trends are you seeing then? I guess we touched on warehouses and we've seen the retail.
1: Uh, I can make the assumption that warehouses have gone up in value, like you said, because of tenants such as Amazon and Uh people are probably wanting to store things that are going to be shipped out because of e-commerce and things like that. There's all these reasons why that's gone up. But uh, seconds, I mean, I'm asking the same question as you. What do we think could be next? Did anyone see the warehouses being a really good investment and unfolding in this way and what could so be.
2: so is is the warehouse trend going to continue at the speed it was i'm not so sure because i think that there are there are a number of um tenants out there that are um somewhat stressed by the the rental growth that has been um placed on their shoulders by by landlords who have been um uh, just been swamped by demand for their for their buildings um and I think that there is a there is a tipping point where where the um, the direct economics of um, tenants paying paying rents they have the rents have to be sustainable for the businesses that are using those those buildings. And mm. I think certainly with, within warehouses, you know, um, the, the rental growth rate has been charging at for a period of time. Um, yeah, and I presume a, that's more down to demand than anything yeah. else. And it's, it's it's just a classic supply demand yeah. mismatch, uh, and um, you know I think there are industrial developers who are uh, um, scrambling to find sites so that they can build new buildings to soak up more of that demand. Um, but I think I think that 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 is starting to calm down a little bit, uh, and there are other areas of the market that are um, that are coming through. I mean certainly. Um, Student accommodation has been very popular, so there are um, some fund managers out there who talk about beds and sheds. <laughs> and you know, the the uh, beds might be um, uh, student accommodation. It might be um, uh, BTR, uh, so built to rent as mm-hmm. well. So a residential format where uh, these these um, tall resi blocks are being um, developed but rather than selling off the flats one by one uh, to you and all your friends yeah uh the the the, the owners purposely uh, choose not to sell those flats and to hold those flats uh, as a long-term stream of income yep. so so um people call it either btr or prs so uh, private private rental sector private yeah. rental sector exactly um so yeah both of those
0: and what about kind of ESG products and as commercial investment I know that there's a lot of capital out there at the moment and so um, ESG
2: uh, is is at the top of lots of um, fund managers uh, sort of buying criteria in terms of it's something that they are they're very focused uh, on um, thinking about in terms of the sustainability uh, of buildings that go into their portfolios Um, you know I think that there's been a lot of uh, concern from fund managers of offices uh, for example that they're gonna have to uh, do major mm-hmm. works to their buildings to keep their, their their buildings compliant for energy usage and so on uh and you know as as the um the, the government has had campaigns to uh, get us on a path to net zero by 2050 or whatever it is um that is that is uh uh, had lots of follow-on effects and mm-hmm. uh, so so the the environmental um, part of that uh, is is typically in the running cost of the building so if it's if it's a best-in-class building and it's been uh, very carefully designed and it has very clever heating systems and drainage systems and you know they've used lots of renewable um, fabrics within the construction of the building uh, all those um, you know, you know, if if I was a if I was a fund manager at uh, Aviva and I could buy a um, fifty million pound office, one of which had had just had everything mm-hmm. done to it, and then the other one had a similar profile, but I was going to have to spend um, you know millions of pounds you know on a like by like basis. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to go for the one where over the cost cycle of the building, my costs as landlord are going to be lower. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think people uh, have been thinking about that far more within the last sort of two years, eighteen months, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, um, and certainly, um, the EPC scores, so the energy performance certificates yeah. uh, that you get on um, on your buildings when you buy them, look closely at those uh, and make sure if it's um, if it's a a low scoring building, so that might it grades from a to g or something like that uh and if if you're in um uh, efg uh, i would i would be concerned and just think about am i am i buying this with a business plan where i'm going to fix that moving forward uh and and there's no problem with that um but also if if it's a if it's a particularly low scoring building that's also going to have um, sort of follow on impacts for things like insurance and other wider maintenance as well.
0: So I guess from a kind of, you know, we mentioned this kind of Salem lease back thing at the beginning hmm. that might encourage more business owners to invest in ESG standards for their building because they can probably get more money for yeah, their so, property so, by the end of it.
2: So, I mean. You know, if you're it's... if you're a medium-sized business and government policy is sort of saying that you've got to spend <sighs> 10 million pounds on your buildings but you don't have 10 million pounds to hand uh, but you you've got a building that you bought 30 40 years ago mm-hmm. uh, and you relatively speaking would have paid you know a relatively low price for the land you may have developed the building yourself or you've you've done various works to it over time um, you know there are there are lots of businesses that we talk to on a regular basis who are sort of saying, well, you know, our our overall business cost base is rising. What are we going to do about it? You know, uh, and sometimes selling leasebacks is the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are all sorts of nuances with that, but you know we we're always delighted to to talk to um, clients that are thinking about that and help guide them in their strategy and um, uh, help. Tell them the best uh, lease structures uh, and things to um, be conscious of as part of that process, um, because um, uh, there are there are times in the past when businesses have done certain leasebacks, mm. but if the if the rents have been set too high, or the rent review structure is unfavorable to the tenant over the long term, they can give themselves um, a huge amount of pressure moving forward. Yeah. So. Um, uh, without going to names, I can think of um, businesses, l- large PLCs that have done, they've raised two or 300 million. Uh, but uh, as part of that, they may have granted themselves a, a, a 20-year lease um, and they've, they've sold the, the freehold of their, of their property to a third party. But if the rent goes up at uh, 3% annually, for example, uh, and it, year on year, it's going up 3%, 3% and it just keeps on compounding, um, but then then there's a major change in the business cycle in the yeah. backdrop going back to what you were saying Sam uh, and you know the the turnover of the business or um, drops off or the or the profitability of the business drops off for a whole host of different reasons but they're still saddled with this <laughs> this financial commitment and they have to meet the rising costs so so their profitability is going down but their cost base is going up and these mm-hmm. costs, can get very significant quickly, especially on a transaction of that size. And
1: clients come to you with these issues to try and help brainstorm well, solutions. And let yeah. me
0: just jump in and because it's the question number yeah. five is what is your role I've within Stratton? Yeah, so fine. <laughs> If we kind of tie that in with what Sam's. So just yeah, says. I mean, yeah. I'm
2: I'm head of head of capital markets at Stratton. So yeah. so um, uh, typically, certain and leasebacks fall fall into my um, domain uh, mm-hmm. as. Uh, as does um buying and selling Al- albeit um stratton's has um a prominent um uh presence within the world of auctions as well um and um we have uh, agency teams dealing with um uh, city fringe offices and warehouses and retail units and whole host and so those teams also transact but it tends to be um at a at a lower um lower Property asset value uh, than than some of the things that I tend to deal with. So typically, um, the the things that I uh, am more focused on it starts at two and a half to three million, rising upwards, and there's no sort of top
1: cap. Sure. Where that goes to. I'm curious, just for myself, what's the largest asset that you've um, transacted on or managed for? So a client? Uh, Sing- largest single asset.
2: So. The largest transaction that I've worked on uh, was a um, a portfolio. So rather than not but go on, so sounds it, interesting. But, but it was a portfolio of um, petrol filling stations with convenience stores. Mm. So um, uh, a client of, of my former practice um, uh, were very close to Chevron, and um, we we um, teamed up with one of our one of our um, clients to um, acquire a portfolio of 120 petrol filling stations. Um, this is I don't know, a dozen years ago or so, uh, and we we bought this package of um, uh, 120 sites, and they were um, they were bought with vacant possessions, so there was no income. Uh, but the business plan was that we were going to um, uh, take these these properties and convert them, uh, well, work the planning and refurbish them and extend them uh to turn them from um uh, petrol filling stations where you could buy a newspaper and some chocolates and a pack of cigarettes <laughs> yeah in a typically a sort of a kiosk of 700 yeah, square yeah. foot and then you got the, the the petrol pumps um into um, a full format uh four court convenience store so so you'd be putting a small supermarket on these sites
1: which we see so often now. and now, uh,
2: but back then it, it it was very new, innovative, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. uh, my former practice uh, were um, very close to Summerfield, who then got bought out by Co-op, and we knew that um, Co-op wanted to move into uh, Summerfield wanted to go into this space, uh, and so um, we uh, of the hundred and. 20 sites that we were buying vacant we knew that we we could let 90 of them straight away and so we put 20-year leases on 90 90 of them them. Uh, and then there was another 30 sites that we then sold to um, developers and to the to the petrol trade as well Uh, but then with the um, with the the core 90 they then went through a um, program of uh, works and refurbishments and um, so like the the portfolio when we bought it for the 90 sites was circa 100 million. But then by the time that we'd finished with it, it was closer to 200 million.
1: What time frame was that?
2: So by the time that that all of the works to the portfolio had been concluded, it was just before the great financial crisis. Uh, So it was was really um, a very interesting time. And uh, we we had launched the, the portfolio with a price tag i think of 180 million we had proposals at 200 million or so uh, at the time and then uh on the monday uh we were due to um present the proposals uh back to our to our to our client to say right you know we think so and so is the right person to buy all of mm. this um uh, as a one and here's their proof of finance and here are their debt terms and so on but on the sunday uh lehman's went Uh, And so and then all of our bidders and we had we we had about eight different bidders or so that were all call it 200 million. Uh, And uh, we then um, all all of those bids fell over because they couldn't get the the finance terms that they wanted Mm. uh, from the banks because the banks Mm -hmm. stopped lending off the back of um, Lehman Brothers collapse. And, you know, all the banks are then sort of looking around at every other bank deciding, you know, uh, is our business still still sound and secure and all that kind of stuff? So uh, that that was a huge whirlwind, uh, and then we then spent the next two years effectively breaking up that portfolio of ninety and then um, uh, breaking it into more bite-sized chunks. So we sold, you know, uh, smaller portfolios yeah. of ten properties at a time, or yeah. four properties at a time, or yeah. even single deals all over. But ultimately, we still got to the to the capital sum of one hundred I think it was about one hundred and ninety million by the time that wow. we were all done. But it was through a, a massively <laughs> turbulent period yeah. in the market. But because the the leases that we um, we had got from Summerfield were were twenty year leases, they were they were long, strong, mm. defensive um, profiles of income, which meant that um, uh, the market very much um, were chasing that for for wealth preservation uh, as much as wealth generation.
1: Well, there you go. The question was. What do you do? And, I mean, that, yeah. that, that's a great example.
2: Well, it, it, it was it was a it was a roller coaster. Not it fair. really was. Just, uh, but fair. to
1: to have that to have that knowledge and understanding of how to manage a scenario like that is there a sort of are there certain qualifications or studying or learning that you have to do to put yourself in a position to be able to advise clients on these things?
2: Uh, so um, typically, um, most most um, investment agents are um, chartered surveyors, yeah. and uh, people people go off to university. They 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 do a um, a property course which is um, uh, RICS yep. um, uh, RICS accredited uh, and then once they've got that then they um, they come back to the market as as graduates and then they can train for several years with with a wide range of businesses and then after that time then they s- sit their um, APC which is their um, assessment of professional competence uh and if they pass that so there's a there's a written part and then there's a panel part where they have to um present to a to a to a panel of um effectively
1: four judges or
2: like charter surveyors that are there and then um once they've done that then they uh, then they become charter surveyors.
1: and so is that the route that you took into the industry
2: so (laughs) personally yeah i didn't
1: take that route
2: i i was on that route and um Going back to the portfolio sale that I was telling you about, yeah, uh, I um, I was was working w- working towards becoming chartered when when the when the great, great financial crisis kicked off. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, and then
1: you had your work cut out. Uh, <laughs> I was in the midst of <laughs> yeah.
2: of trying to sell this portfolio of 180 million, uh, and actually there was there was a there was a member of my team uh, who was made redundant during that time and I, it was just focus on the job get that done and actually over time um uh my 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 personal cv uh, sort of got padded out by by doing more and more deals I got promoted more and more throughout my um my previous business so uh when i when i joined that business i joined as a graduate surveyor and, and they had seven rungs and then I went up to partner level, which was well, salary partner, which was sort of level six or seven. Uh, and then um, from there, uh, I then got poached to, to, to do my current role with Stretton's.
0: So not qualified. Not qualified. <laughs> but there are, there, there are... Officially qualified. There qualified are in your There are some very, very though. prominent
2: agents that are not qualified. However, I'd say most, most investment agents are.
0: So is it more, I guess, kind of on the final question before we go is it more difficult to get where you are now given that the qualification so what you got there through experience and obviously hmm. a really long cv of all these wonderful yeah. projects is it pro- would you say it's diff- more difficult to kind of get on board of these really difficult projects now without having that or um, do you think there are still some who kind of get through the net
2: it's difficult uh, i think i i think that um given the the hurdles for um, people coming through into into surveying today. I think that if if for example you're wanting to go and to train as a um, investment agent and then become a property fund manager, for example, if you want to be a fund manager, you absolutely have got to be chartered. Yeah. Um, but there are there are other qualifications and there are other skill sets that you need in order to um, do the job well. You've, your financial modelling has got to be very strong. Yeah. You've got to be very um, engaging uh, and understand how your how your clients think and what what risk profiles that they're willing to take on on the various deals that you put to them. Um, you, you need to know how to manage processes and teams and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, obviously, um, uh, investment agents work very closely with a wide range of consultants, from um, planners through to lawyers. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, quantity surveyors and architects and a whole host of other um, skills that feed into the wider property world. Um, but um, you know, I think that having having a strong insight to what you're doing, enjoying what you're doing. I think I think lots of people go down career paths where they think, oh, you know, I'm going to do this because because I'm um, I'm going to get a, a large salary at the end of it. I think I think that you need to choose a career that. That you you like the mm-hmm. the basic framework of what it's all about, and for me, uh, although I'm buying and selling uh, property for my clients, really it's the clients and the personal dynamics that I like the most.
0: Well. I'm gonna end it on there on a nice note. Um, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having It's been really interesting. Thanks for coming back, Sam. Oh, thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome anytime. Uh thanks to all of our listeners, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, share, comment. And I will see you next time. Tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow. I'll see you next time for an architect. <laughs> Have a good one. Bye.